Welcome to episode 55 of Contested Catch. It is time for our week seven preview. Obviously, we're looking ahead at week seven this weekend. We are recording this on Saturday morning. Uh, We've pushed us back to accommodate all of the uh, new and developing injury news that came out later in the week. And so we just wanted to make sure that we had as much information as possible in order to give you guys, uh, you know, our take and, and, you know, how we're feeling about everything. So uh, without further ado, Jeff, welcome back again, my shirtless comrade. Uh, How are you doing this this fine morning? Hey, Will, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, hoping to get out and play some football myself later today. Nice. Oh, I like to hear that. Don't get injured, my man. (laughs) I will. (laughs) <laughs> I see you're also rocking the stash. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a little quarantine stash. Nothing big. Is that in solidarity with Gio Bernard? It is not. I was not aware he's rocking the stash. Oh, my God, Jeff. Go to <laughs> Jeff and all of our listeners. If you haven't seen this yet, go to ESPN and look up Gio Bernard. His his headshot is hysterical. Um, anyway, I actually was just recently, recently rocking the stash myself. Uh, just trimmed it down a little bit, but... Um, anyway, this actually segues in, into our first segment pretty well. Um, so like I already said, we're going to talk about some injury updates. We're also going to answer a fan question. We've got our DFS preview as usual. Um, so we've got a lot of good stuff for you guys. We're going to kick it off with the injury updates and just get some of these topics out of the way. And I guess we'll just start in Cincinnati. Uh, Joe Mixon is ruled out with a foot sprain. Damn, that is a good stash. It is a good stash, right? And and guess what? The stash is looking like the top option in that backfield. We know that Joe Mixon has seen a lot of volume, and we know that Joe Mixon is, is a pretty talented player as well. So I, I think that Gio Bernard is probably washed, but I also feel like, you know, a 60-yard, two-touchdown, five-catch, 30-yard touchdown game is in is in his wheelhouse still. Like, I'm not talking about anything crazy. If If everything lines up, he could still produce. And this offense has a lot of volume, and in it's uh it's it's moving. So, uh, with that said, Jeff, I think Gio Bernard is probably a solid RB two option. I feel pretty good if you need a running back this week, uh, putting him in there. Um, at the same time, I think he's kind of washed. So, what are your thoughts on Gio Bernard and the Cincinnati backfield? Sands, Joe Mixon. Yeah, I think. Uh... Gio is definitely an RB2 this week. Last time the Browns and Bengals played was uh, that Thursday night game. I think Burrow, you know, threw the ball 60 times. Um, 61. 61 and still barely got to 300 yards. I mean, it was probably like the weakest 300-yard performance you'll see. But for a receiving back like Gio, assuming that he does get used in that role a lot, that's fantastic. you know, like if he gets five receptions, that's like a really solid, uh, like PPR half PPR floor. Um, I also think we could maybe finally see a little bit of Travion Williams, the mm. Texas Tech product. Um, I mean, I don't know, I've kind of had him as a little bit of a sleeper last year. Hasn't had a chance to do anything, but I think he could. We could maybe see him get some of the early down work. Um, I don't know, dude's yoked, so. Mm. I mean, I keep my eye out on him personally. I have him stashed in our dynasty league, so um, you know that's a little bit of my personal, I don't want to say bias, but have my money like where my mouth is. Yeah, and absolutely. So I mean, I think if you're in a dynasty league or in, in nah, not even in deep, like season leagues, but in a dynasty league, you should probably have him rostered before tomorrow. 
Yeah, I, I actually think that's a pretty good call, Jeff. I when he was drafted, I was like, okay, this is this this is the sign. They think Gio's washed. He's going to replace him. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Um, I don't think Gio has really given them any confidence. Or I mean, based on what I've seen, based on what the numbers say, it doesn't feel like there's really anything really there anymore besides the sash. So. Yeah, you might be right. This might be a trap week for Gio Bernard, but I honestly think you could make that case for almost any time, as long as there's someone worth you know knowing their name uh, in a backfield that is all of a sudden ambiguous for a week, um, like Alexander Madison. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, but I guess what I'm talking about is maybe Mike Boone would have blown up that week instead of Alexander Madison. Um, but anyway, let's stick in that that matchup and go to Cleveland. Austin Hooper is a guy that I've been talking a lot more about recently as I think his volume has finally caught up to the hype that I that I felt for him um, in this offseason. I had him at tight end six by the end of the summer. And I, you know, I think it was a pretty predictable slow start considering change teams, change systems, new coach. Uh, for everyone and new quarterback for him. So really not that surprising. All of a sudden, he's getting a lot of volume. He's out targeting Jarvis Landry now. Um, and now that Austin Hooper is out this week with a non-COVID-related illness, uh, reports that David Njoku, former first-round pick of Cleveland, currently tight end two, tight end three on the depth chart, uh, he requested a trade before the season, didn't get it. Now there are reports that he still wants out before the trade deadline. I think this is perfectly timed, Jeff. I think that he has a great chance for an audition for a new team. Uh, you know, maybe some people are saying Harrison Bryant might actually be the better play, and that really you should, probably shouldn't be playing either of them. But do does David Njoku or Harrison Bryant interest you in Week Seven? Um, only in the DFS context. I don't. I'm not really looking to stream either one. Um, but yeah, for draft. For DFS, I think they're fine for like cheap tight end dart throw slash punts. Um, but yeah, I think like the idea that maybe they could audition Njoku this week before trying to ship him off for the trade deadline. Um, you know, I think that's a decent process. Yeah, they they said they wanted to hold on to him. I just wonder if they were really waiting for a team uh, that feels like they're contending that needs a, a tight end or something. Maybe where the price is better and they could sneak, you know, I don't know, a late second round or something. Someone's like, well, we'd rather win this this year and and we're gonna have a late round pick anyways or a late pick in the round anyway um yeah i i you know david njoku unbelievable athlete we know that he has been able to produce at times in this in this offense he actually looked pretty good at the start of last season before almost immediately getting injured um so we'll see i think he's a very interesting dfs dart i will be building around him not building around him but including him because i think he's gonna be so cheap um okay going to new orleans jeff Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are now out. Now, in the contested catch-up, I mentioned that Emmanuel Sanders feels like a very, very playable wide receiver, too, with the volume that he was seeing. 14 targets in week six. Um, you know, we know that Alvin Kamara has been basically a wide receiver one just with his receiving production, whilst Michael Thomas was out with an injury. So now Michael Thomas is on the shelf again. Emmanuel Sanders is on the shelf. Jared Cook. Traquan Smith, of course, Alvin Kamara. You know, how do you see uh, these guys in Week Seven playing out any differently, I guess, than we've seen them in the past? Um, I think it'll be pretty much the same. Like Traquan Smith is absolutely startable as a wide receiver three, if not even low on wide receiver two this week. Fire up Jared Cook and tight end if you have him, or if he's on the waiver wire, fantastic streaming option. Alvin Kamara, RB one. I mean, from DraftKings, he's going to be like 
he's probably underpriced by an $18,000. He'll be pretty chalky, but like, I mean, that's just chalk that you want to eat. One of the best player in the NFL is underpriced and going up against one of the weakest uh, defenses. And then even Latavius Murray is uh, a solid season-long play, um, especially if we're projecting Kamara to get a bunch of reps lined out wide. Murray's going to be um, in the backfield. And again, like this is a defense that's been gouged on the ground. So Murray could, I mean, Kamara and Murray could both go for 100 yards and a touchdown apiece. Like, I wouldn't be shocked to see that happens. And I even think for DFS, um, making some contrarian lineups that have Murray in the hopes mm. that he gets the, uh, you know, two touchdown type of game, then Kamara gets kind of blank from the um, red zone is also a um, good play. I think that's a smart move, Jeff. Uh, I, I think I have a tendency to maybe try to pivot too much. Um, and, and therefore miss out on chalk plays that would have been wise, but, uh, that, that, that seems like a good one, uh, for this week in green Bay, kind of similar situation, I suppose. Aaron Jones is questionable. Um, I guess it's more of a situation related to Cincinnati. That is, um, Jamal Williams feels like a strong flex at first. If Aaron Jones does miss the game, he seems like a game time decision. Um, but Matt LaFleur, the head coach signaled that AJ Dillon could actually be the lead ball carrier in the event that Aaron Jones misses week seven. So with that said, Jeff, we, you know, we talked a lot about AJ Dillon leading up to the draft. Obviously I, you know, I was very high on him in my big board. Uh, I, I heaped a lot of praise on his athletic ability and, you know, he basically is Derrick Henry minus three inches um, and minus the all world tackle breaking ability in the open field with his extended uh, right arm. So, I think that A.J. Dillon is a very interesting bench pickup uh, in the event that for some reason he takes over this backfield. Because keep in mind, guys, they already had Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is due a big contract this offseason. Jamal Williams is due a contract this offseason. And they still drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. So with this guy has, having Derek Henry athleticism um, and all of a sudden is maybe going to get a sizable role if Aaron Jones misses. And it's against the Houston Texans who have been gashed on the ground. Now, Packers are only three and a half point favorites, but the over is really high uh, or over under is really high, 57. So I don't know. This this feels like a really interesting uh, moment for A.J. Dillon truthers. Jeff, what think you? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't love it. I'd still prefer Jamal Williams um, if Jones is out. And then even if Aaron Jones does play, I don't really like I – mean, yeah, I'll start him in season long, but, like, I don't really want to be that heavy on the this backfield for um, DFS this weekend just because, um, I don't know, I feel like it'll just be a split too much to really get that, like, weak winning ceiling. Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe I would sprinkle in Dylan or, or Williams um, this week in DFS, but I think this is much more of like a chance for dynasty buyers in Dylan to pay off earlier than later. Um, we'll see. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think this could, this should be a concern for Aaron Jones though. If he were to miss and AJ Dillon does really well, I think uh, this, you know, great rushing share that Aaron Jones has been able to maintain recently in a really good offense uh, could be in a little bit of jeopardy. So last one for, for me, Jeff, um, John U. Smith is back. So unfortunately we have to derail the Ferkser train for now, but AJ Brown added to the injury report Thursday, then removed Friday. He looks good to go this week. I want to get your thoughts, Jeff, as someone who really believes in AJ Brown's talent. Did you, did, first of all, did you hear his, uh, his, I think it was Instagram 
uh, story, kind of like rant about, not rant, but like, you know, description of his injury, um, about, about his knee injury when it first came down. I did not see that Instagram. Um, I mean, it was a bone bruise, right? It was a bone bruise in his knee, but basically what he outlined was how uncertain his, his opinion on the injury, the doctor's opinion, the coach's opinion, all, no one was certain that he was going to play this year, Jeff. They weren't sure if he was going to play this year. They didn't know if it was going to be a couple weeks. They didn't know what it was. So to me, I'm actually like, I'm maintaining concern about A.J. Brown. The fact that he went, and maybe it was just a maintenance day. I tweeted that. I said, you know, we got to hope this is a maintenance day, but this is a concern because he did not make it sound like a minor thing that wasn't going to stick with him. So I'll say this. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know about the severity and the re-injury risk with with bone bruises in the knee. Um, but I will say, I think A.J. Brown, as good as he has been since he's been back, because he has been good, um, it's still a concern for me. Any additional thoughts on that situation? Um, I just think he's a baller. And, I mean, fire him up, all systems go. <laughs> okay. Any, any uh, other injury updates that you wanted to bring up before we move on? Uh, no, nah, we're good. Okay. Um, now it is time for our fan question of the week. This one is from our friend of the show, uh, my personal friend as well, Jack. And uh, Jack's question is, what is a fantasy football storyline that you see developing in the next few weeks that people might not see coming? I think this is a great question. It actually leads us into our next segment as well. But before we get into that, um, Jeff, my answer to this, it's 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 a really good question. I think we should probably try to answer it uh, continuously. But for what, I, what I'll give right now is I think there are three wide receiver ascensions that the public is still behind on. Two ascending into wide receiver one range and one ascending into wide receiver two range. And the first two are Will Fuller and Terry McLaurin. Now, Will Fuller has been like on another level recently, man. Uh, people are, are completely sleeping on what Will Fuller has been able to do uh, just because he had kind of like, you know, kind of a, a not even an iffy start, but just a uh, inconsistent start. Let's say that he's had three games over 100 yards already. He's got four straight games with a, with a touchdown. Uh, we know that they're all free of Bill O'Brien, and I wonder if Bill O'Brien is kind of like Adam Gase light in the sense of oppressing his players. But so that week two dud zeros across the board um, is a distant memory because his his the rest of his lines eight for one twelve and no touchdowns four fifty four and touchdowns six for one oh eight touchdown four fifty eight touchdown six for one twenty three touchdown. He's only cleared uh, ten targets twice, but I think that his rapport with with Deshaun Watson and his relative health this season has boded really well so far. And I think he is here to stay. I think he should be starting in all lineups um, going forward. And then Terry McLaurin, Jeff, I know you want to talk about his schedule a little bit, but the guy's volume, I almost think he's approaching matchup proof territory because even with the quarterback carousel, I definitely thought that that was going to at, at least in some way impact his fantasy stock. It has not. I mean, he's still seeing unbelievable volume. He's got over, through uh, six weeks, Jeff. He has the number one air yard share in the league. Number one. The last three weeks, he's number one in rock. Terry McLaurin is above A.J. Brown, above D.K. Metcalf, above Adam Thielen, George Kittle. And he is just absolutely, he's seen so much volume. He's third in targets the last three weeks, 28% target share. So I think Terry McLaurin is here to stay. And then the last one, and I'll definitely give you a chance to respond to all these, Jeff. Debo Samuel, wide receiver two. The reason I think this might be the most um, 
the, this might be the best one to actually answer Jack's question. And that's because I don't think people are even looking at Debo Samuel the way they were at the end of last season, especially the way he performed, um, you know, right at the end and then in the playoffs. Um, Debo Samuel, man, one of the most versatile players in the league, I think, and being used creatively by Kyle Shanahan once again. He's got a carry in each game, which bodes really well for him to continue to be that Robert Woods type player, supplementing some, I guess, uh, lower A dot type um, plays as a wide receiver with with some explosive runs. But with that said, I mean, he's already seeing pretty good volume in this offense. I think Jimmy Garoppolo has given us cause for optimism once again in San Francisco. Uh, we know that the, the pass catching core there is just decimated still. And uh, I think that Debo Samuel is really, really on the cusp of emerging once again. He had six targets, six catches, 66 yards and a touchdown. So it's a lot of sixes, uh, including the amount of points he put on the board. But still, Debo Samuel... I think is right on the cusp. And I think if you still have a chance to buy, I think you should. Now it is worth noting asterisk here. Jeff and I talked a good bit about Debo Samuel's uh, foot injury, the list Frank injury being something that Jones fracture, Jones fracture, excuse me. Thank you. Um, the Jones fracture injury being something that we need to continue to monitor because it does have a unfortunate history of popping back up and being a re-injury risk. So there's that, but I still think that that Debo Samuel's being slept on based on the volume and efficiency, I think he's going to maintain. So, Jeff, on any of those topics, did you want to add anything? Um, in regards to Will Fuller, I completely agree. He's just going to keep balling. There were some rumors following the Bill Bryan firing that the Texans might be like sellers of Fuller and or Cooks uh, ahead of the trade deadline. And Deshaun Watson came out and said, We're not trading either of these guys. So, like, um, I mean, I just think that continues to like offer support for just how like good of chemistry they have. Um, yeah, Terry, like I'm slightly, I feel, I mean, you're right. Like his opportunity numbers are absolutely stellar. Like um, I, I just kind of feel like he's maybe more of a high end wide receiver too, than like full for like fancy purposes than full blown wide receiver one. Um, but also looking at that schedule, the schedule coming up, they play Dallas um, giants, Detroit, Cincinnati, um, so like the schedule also looks really good. It's just, um, and I'm like, for me, the matchup proof isn't even entirely like about who he's going up against on the other side. It's just more about will, how much can the, um, football teams like offensive line protect the quarterback, but like none of those teams coming up are really that strong in the trenches. So yeah, like, uh, Dallas giants, Detroit, Cincinnati, Dallas for the next five games. Um, I mean, I, I, do think he's going to um, feast. So, and yeah, Debo, um, yeah, I mean, Shanahan's going to find ways to get him the ball. Um, he's one of the, he's fantastic with the ball in his hand. So I like him. And yeah, it's just like kind of that Jones fracture and whether or not that um, will flare up again or not. And, but because you did mention this, Frank, um, I just would like to say, I guess, in regards to Joe Mixon, that uh, one of the like medical Twitter analysts um, that I've followed said, based on the limited video, they think there's a chance that the Mixon injury could have been this Frank said mm. that is, that is just like a little bit of a foot sprain, but um, you know, they said it's one of those things that's just really tough to see on video, but given that it looks to be midfoot, there is the off chances to this Frank, which would be much more than a one week absence. Yeah. And it would just be a, a kind of a thorn for lack of a better word. Um, I think I mean, for his rest of the season. Going into next year. Yeah, yeah de definitely. So, um, 
you know, that's, you know, far from confirmed. I just saw one of those, like, you know, like I said, Twitter, medical film. Yeah. People and I said, think, that, so. I think they're, they're definitely worth factoring into our, to our analysis because otherwise we're just playing doctor, you know, saying, ah, oh, he'll be fine. Right. He'll be back in a week. Right. It'll yeah. Be- yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. These guys are actually like, you know, we say we're, we don't have any medical training, which is true. These guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Jeff, well, you have one more, um, you have your own, I should say, fantasy football storyline that you don't think people are going to see coming. And what is that? Well, I mean, is Ryan Tannehill a top five quarterback? I mean, not even necessarily fantasy football, but like real football. Um, you know, one of my good Twitter friends, Michael Kist, um, you know, we've had some fun interactions in the past. <laughs> he ran a poll uh, the other day that's, uh, you know, just, is he a top five quarterback? 56% yes, 44% no. Um, I don't know, like, there's still kind of this, seems to be like this perception or stigma attached to him that like, um, he's like a byproduct of, you know, Derrick Henry in the system, but, um, and like lingering from his Miami days, I guess, but he's been absolutely balling out. Like he's, you know, been like incredibly efficient. Some of the, like, it might there be a little regression coming perhaps, but like, I mean, that's starting cat or like supporting cast with AJ Brown, Johnny Smith. It, I mean, even like Adam Humphreys is pretty decent. Like, so, you know, I mentioned the other day with uh, Taylor Luan out for the injury is a big blow to the offensive line. Um, but I, I mean, also if the running game gets weakened because of that, and now we just um, see Tannehill needing to like actually fully carry the offense. I mean, I think we could see him start actually getting recognition as being a top five quarterback in the NFL, which is kind of crazy considering where he was, um, you know, just a year ago. Yeah, I think you're, you're you made a great point there. Um, Ryan Tannehill, I think, has just one of the most interesting football storylines in the sport right now. I mean, starting as a wide receiver in Texas A&M, becoming a quarterback for his last two years, I think it was uh, first round pick. Complete bust, right in Miami, because he just—it was kind of like an Andy Dalton type, where he just couldn't take them over the hump. He could get them, you know, a couple wins, but and then goes to Tennessee, takes over the job from Marcus Mariota, now franchise quarterback. It's just really one of the most incredible stories I think we've seen. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, a lot of this has to do with Adam Gase effect, I think, and how his early career played out. But um, alas, I think he's probably pretty happy with the way everything's going. So uh, I think that's a good take, Jeff. All right, moving now to our fantasy football storyline segment, as promised. Um, there's some big news out of Tampa Bay. And I think that you've probably, as, as a listener, you've probably already heard this. You've probably already seen Antonio Brown get scooped up off your waiver wire. But just in the event that he hasn't been, he's 100% worth an ad. He is getting a one-year deal from Tampa Bay, reuniting with Tom Brady. Uh, Antonio Brown is back, Jeff. And I think that there's been a lot of discussion and debate on Twitter recently about who this affects, who this impacts uh, in the, the, the TB skill position groups. And I think that it affects everyone in some way. But I also think that this is probably, you know, best case scenario is a little tough because it's like, well, maybe he could go and get like 12 targets a game, like, you know, in Oakland or something, but, you know, not a realistic scenario. Um, I think this is probably the best case scenario for Antonio Brown to get off to a start that is playable early. Like he could be a flex in a week and a half. And the reason I say this is because he obviously already has some rapport with Tampa, uh, <laughs> Tom Brady. I almost said Tampa Bay. <laughs> um, and Tampa Brady. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's that that rapport that already exists is good. I also think that Mike Evans being a little banged up, Chris Godwin being banged up, 
this offense still kind of like not I don't think they've really found their identity their like number one alpha type play uh it just feels like they're kind of going back and forth between being run heavy with Rojo with you know pass heavy with Brady and I don't know it just feels like Antonio Brown has a real opportunity here and so I'm interested to see your take on how you would value Antonio Brown uh you know just going forward rest of the season um I don't know maybe like low end like like wide receiver two three range um like you said he is coming uh, hasn't been playing all year um even though there is a little bit of a rapport with um tom already it's um a crowded crowded offense so the ball is going to be spread around between some really good players so i don't really know that the consistent volume will be there um so i mean i think he's kind of like really kind of a sell high if you can get like a really good offer um you know, especially off of the name brand recognition, even Mike Evans as well, I think could be a sell high or you know, I'd probably play Evans this week and then sell him um, because like, you know, no AB and then Godwin's the only one kind of that, like I might be interested in at like market value for that offense. Mm. Um, well, or those receivers, I, there's maybe a chance this is good for uh, Ronald Jones um, or at least like, just a more net. scoring opportunities. Yeah, the ball. Yeah, yeah, or like a net zero on him. Like, okay, opportunity share if the entire offense is smaller, but yeah, more touchdown upside potentially. And if they are winning a lot more heading into the fourth quarters, then he can just like grind the clock. Um, I don't know. And then also uh, with AB, you know, we saw a lot of wide receiver injuries to start the year with the shortened off season. Like. What's to say that he won't come out and tweak a hamstring himself or something like, you know, soft tissue mm. injury from just trying to jump right into things. Uh, like, I don't know. It seems like to me, they might more, you know, slowly ramp things up since like for the playoff push and keep them healthy going into the playoffs. But I don't know. We'll see. That's that's a good point that you made there with the injury risk as well. Um, obviously speculative, but still worth factoring in, right? When we saw enough uh, evidence of that impact this uh, beginning of the season. Um, okay, moving on to Atlanta. Is Julio Jones back? I mean, we saw him put up eight for 137 and two touchdowns last week. Obviously, he had been dogged by that hamstring injury. We expressed concern week after week for him. Um, is he backed as being a top three wide receiver one, or is he more of a sell high, Jeff? I think, you know, he's still nursing that hamstring injury on the injury report this week, but it's also Julio Jones. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? Nah, dude, he's firing him up. Um, <laughs> all systems go. I'm with you. <laughs> um, I mean, I think he was removed. Like, they even cleared the hamstring at, at the practice report yesterday. So, um, yeah, there's a reason I was, like, had him, like, really t- – I almost made him my wide receiver one um, for the offseason, um, you know, just because uh, I th- thought, like, the volume for the offense was going to be insane, like, and – you know, he's going to just keep all and that defense is not good. So, um, you know, like they're going to have to pass the ball at times. And yeah, Julio is, you know, still one of the best, if not the best receiver in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. Pro- probably, probably the most dominant one-on-one player in the league. Um, in his two really healthy games, he's had uh, 12 targets in week one, nine for 157 and 10 targets in week six. Uh, eight for 137 and two touchdowns. So it's just not fair. It really isn't fair. Um, and we know how high pass volume this offense is. So I think I think you're right. Wheels up on Julio. Obviously, you know the hamstring is never an ideal thing to have. But like, what are you going to do? Not play Julio? Are you going to sell low on him? I don't think that's the right move. I think if you have him, you have ridden it for this long. Uh, stick with him. Um, 
Jeff, I want to wrap up our fantasy football storyline segment by discussing uh, kind of an updated perspective, I suppose, on the rookie RB situations around the league. So we've already talked about Cloud Edwards Hilaire or MEH, as you have uh, so kindly referred to him as as, as uh, Frisco Josh on Twitter. Um, I, I think we've probably I don't want to beat a dead horse with that one. We've talked about that a good bit. So let's go on to Detroit first and talk about DeAndre Swift who had a, definitely a breakout game in week six. He had 14 carries, 116 yards, two touchdowns, and three more catches. Um, we already knew that he was the pass-catching back in Detroit. I mean, he was clearly getting that good volume. He had uh, four more targets in all game but one, and he had he had a touchdown. He had a 60-yard game. Uh, I think Detroit's still kind of figuring it out. But most importantly, Jeff, he saw real rushing volume in week six, and I think that that's pro- possibly, probably here to stay. I mean, Adrian Peterson has been good. And for some reason, coaching staffs are just like, you know, they see this like young running back that they invest in. And then they're still like, nah, let's keep Adrian Peterson as the RB1A for now. Uh, maybe just the security or that, you know, old, old timey, um, I guess, perspective from coaches. But is is DeAndre Swift all of a sudden in the RB2 mix? He's getting there um and we might see him there after this week um so like the lions play the falcons and as you mentioned swift is like is the primary receiving back and with the that it could be another like, huge week for swift um getting a ton of uh of the snap count because they're behind and then if he also you know shows up well on the ground again he's going to make like a really tough um for patricia to like feed him last going forward and i mean i think for him we have to keep in mind he got hurt during training camp so um i think that one of the reasons his usage might have been a little slower um out of the gate than we wanted besides the fact patricia's kind of a donkey and i don't know like was just trying to like grind it with peterson is also that you know, Swift wasn't hundred percent healthy. I think coming out of the bye the other week, um, he's like finally back to like hundred percent or, you know, as hundred percent football players are mid season. Um, so I think, yeah, he's going to make a really strong push for RB two, uh, consistently and maybe even for with low end RB one, if the, um, offense in Detroit starts firing a little bit better. Yeah, I, I do believe in that offense. I think Matthew Stafford is a good player. I think Kenny Galladay coming back is really helpful. TJ Hawkinson has yet to really break out, but has been flashing so far this year and healthy. That's the most important thing. Um, I really do like DeAndre Swift. I think if you want to buy him, if you were high on him and then disappointed, you know, I think I saw a lot of people drop him, um, which is which not crazy because it depends on the league and the situation, but um, this was always a possibility that it would take a little bit longer for him to emerge, especially once I added Adrian Peterson, but it feels like he's emerging. I think the buy low window could close after this week. So make sure to get some offers in if you are interested. Now, Jeff, moving over to Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor is a guy that we've talked a good bit about as well, but has been quieter of late. So he started just to remind everyone, he started the season off nine for 22 rushing six for six cat. Uh, receiving 67 yards that's in week one Marlon Mack goes down week two we think he is in the RB1 conversation going forward 26 carries 101 yards and a touchdown two more targets since then Jeff this is these are his target counts one one three that's weeks three through through five he had four in week six we'll talk about that in a second and then his carry counts three week weeks three through five 13 17 12 I don't know if it's just a mix of Indianapolis struggling a little bit on the ground, but finally, 
finally, week six, it feels like we're approaching what Jonathan Taylor looked like at the beginning of the season when we thought he was breaking out as an RB1. 12 carries, 60 yards, obviously, pretty efficient day. Four targets, four catches, 55 yards. That is very similar to his week one receiving performance. So the arrow is trending back up on Jonathan Taylor. I think you and I are both like long-term buyers. I think we're probably short-term buyers in him. But I'm interested to see uh, how you would rate him right now, or rank him, I should say. Is he high-end RB2? Is he mid-tier RB2? Is he more or less than that? What, do you th- what are your thoughts? Um, probably high-end RB2. Um, you know, I think part of the reason the volume wasn't entirely like what we wanted is that a couple of these games, like the Jets game, the Colts were just up by so much that like, like, okay, we don't need to force feed him. Um, so they, you know, worked in Wilkins and Hines a little bit. So, uh, but when like games happen close, Taylor's usually been the guy that they go to, um, you know, he's been a little, uh, like, like, Disappoint. I don't say disappointing, but the running game hasn't been as strong as maybe at least I was expecting just coming out. But um, you know, maybe that's just on me for having like too high of expectations again for a rookie with shortened training camp. But I think things are starting to look a little bit sharper just like each week, just kind of these gradual improvements, seeing things a little bit better. The four targets last week are also a huge, uh, huge plus. And now they, the Colts are going into the bye. Um, I think we've seen this in the past where it seems like rookies are having like decent starts to the season. And then coming out of the bye, like things are almost just clicking more. Offenses are – teams are making more of a point to get them the ball. So I think he could be a really strong play coming out of the bye. Um, and also, like, like the offensive line hasn't been as strong as we expected. Um, you know, they're still above average, but, like, they're not the top five blocking unit in the league that uh, we were projecting them in the preseason, which like also matters. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good analysis there, Jeff. Uh, so, you know, cautiously optimistic. I think we recognize the reality of the situation, but we still know that Jonathan Taylor, you know, and factoring in all that we know about this team in this offense, uh, six weeks is a good sample. But I also think that things can absolutely change. And this is our job to, you know, evaluate where they might go. So uh, moving on to Washington. Uh, Antonio Gibson, much like A.J. Dillon, was a, a, f- a favorite of mine. They were right neck and neck in my running back rankings, five and six with, in favor of Dillon. Um, Gibson has been like everything I could have hoped for, I think, based on um, n- recognizing how raw he was as a prospect and also the situation in Washington. Not a great offensive line, very uh, un- unclear, very inconsistent quarterback play, new coaching staff. They obviously like him a lot. It's been an up and down, you know, first half. I think, I think overall, like, we have to be optimistic. We have to be uh, excited about what we've seen. But with that said, Jeff, I mean, J.D. McKissick is still getting a lot of work. He's still getting a lot of work. In week six, he had 53% of snaps. Antonio Gibson only had 37. Antonio Gibson has had two games where he's had over 50% of, of snaps since uh, week one, where Peyton Barber has been basically completely phased out. Thank goodness. What a waste of those carries. But anyway, uh, J.D. McKissick is, I mean, Antonio Gibson is getting the nominal start, but J.D. McKissick is getting more work overall, and I think that's because they just trust him as a receiving back more. But now with that said, Antonio Gibson, his la- so his target arrow is going, sh- not maybe not straight up, but it is just gradually climbing. His, his targets from week one to week six, two, two, three, five, five, five. That's really good. That's really good. Um, 
and th- I mean, and that's led to uh, two, one, three, four, five, four catches. So that sounds like a, a, an, a zip code or a phone number or something. But still, he's getting good goal line usage. He's getting good receiving work. It's just not that he, he just hasn't even emerged as really a true RB1A in that offense. So I guess I'm a little cautiously optimistic. I'm hoping that what you just described about them coming out of the bye, that after this week seven matchup with Dallas, they have a chance to reevaluate things over the week eight by and then say, you know what, what are we doing? Why are we giving J.D. McKissick, you know, eight targets a game or something like that out of the backfield? Let's give those to our second round pick who has all world explosiveness and see what happens. So, Jeff, any additional thoughts on the Antonio Gibson situation in Washington? Um, no, not really. I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, I do wonder, though, if we couldn't even see the breakout start this week against Dallas. I mean, Kenyon Drake mm. had his like only good game of the season against them uh, on Monday night. And, you know, could we, I mean, Antonio Gibson's a far better athlete. You know, could we see him even get one or two breakaway runs and basically force the football team to make him their like de facto RB one. Oh, Jeff. Now you're talking, baby. Now you're talking. Oh, all my Gibbs season you're getting, fans you're out a, there. You're getting aroused right there. Will. Oh, Jeff, don't even don't start. I don't think start. I think your table just uh, <laughs> moved up a couple inches. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like that that gif where it's like the Gundam robot, you know, ignites his sword or whatever. I'll have to tweet that out. Um, OK, good stuff. Now, one uh, oh, another rookie running back we have is Jacksonville. Uh, James Robinson, James R.B. Wonson, I guess you could say. <laughs> That's the way you spell his name. Um, James Robinson obviously had a really hot start to the year. Uh, checking in on the overall snap count for you know weeks one through six, 60% snap, snap share. Uh, I think it's a little bit lower than maybe we'd expect based on the way that he has you know, felt to be dominating. I think that's because Chris Thompson has is, is more recently uh, started to garner more pass game work. But I mean, I honestly think James Robinson, his his light is is fading a little bit. The reason is he had such a hot start to the season. You know, he starts with a pretty decent week one. He has a big week two against Tennessee, 102 yards and a touchdown. He had four targets in that one. Then he, his receiving work really starts to pick up. Six targets, four targets, seven targets, four targets. That's really, really good. And he's actually been a pretty good receiver with that as well. The problem is on the ground, he has actually started to be pretty replaceable, I think. Uh, the last two weeks against Houston, which we know is a pretty good running back matchup, 13 carries, 48 yards. That's not not a not a great game. Uh, 12 carries, 29 yards against Detroit. That's, I guess, fine, especially considering he had a, a receiving touchdown as well. So the really positive thing about James Robinson is that he's come off being an undrafted free agent, clearly taken over the RB1 role. And most importantly, I think, because the running, the rushing is going to come in this offense the way it is. Um, most importantly, he has... Uh, maintained a very steady receiving floor with at least four targets in each game since week one. So, or or rather since week two. So I think things are still looking good for James Robinson, but people were talking about him as an RB one. And I don't know, Jeff, I mean, maybe it's just the production hasn't been there. The volume is pretty good. We're not sure about the talent. Like, I think that has to be very clear. We have six games of him in in an NFL uniform. Uh, We, you know, he was undrafted. I think that's generally a sign that, um, uh, of a uh, consensus talent evaluation there. He earned the job. But, I mean, what are your thoughts here? I think he's probably my, – my thought is probably mid-tier RB2 going forward um, with room to grow, but I don't think that we should be valuing him in the RB1 situation right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I might push him into like upper RB2 tier, but um, I mean, I think he's just one of those guys that you just want to keep plugging and playing. You got him for probably free. Um, I don't think, and I think because he was that undrafted free agent, I don't see you really being able to extract like what his actual market value would be in a trade. Like, mm. I don't think you can, so I don't really think you can sell high on him because like, you know, like, okay, say like Mike Evans, he has the name brand and the perception of being, uh, you know, an art wide receiver one. James Robinson, like you said, he is an undrafted rookie free agent. So you're not, I mean, like, think like Chris Carson. How long did it take for him to produce like high end RB2 to RB1 numbers before it was accepted that, hey, this is a good player? Mm. Um, you know, because Chris Carson, Chris Carson was the seventh round draft pick. So how long did it take until people actually like, accepted you know that he's good player and a good fantasy asset um you know like so i think it's kind of going to be the same thing with james robinson and even maybe more so because he plays in jacksonville so um like yeah i think he's kind of at higher end rb1 maybe um you know i think the like ceiling of the offense maybe kind of caps his like personal upside for fantasy i, mean, I still like him um as a player and as a talent um but I mean, yeah, so I think you just kind of set him in as your like flex or RB2, considering what you got him for, and just keep riding him out. Um, you know, that volume is pretty hard to find these days. And I mean, that's kind of the name of the game. Yep, that's well well said. Uh, I think we're in, in lockstep there, Jeff. Um, moving over to LA, Cam Akers is a guy that you were a big fan of. Obviously, 52nd overall pick by LA. Second year in a row, they drafted a running back with their first selection that they had available. He has had a very up and down start so far, obviously not aided by the injuries he experienced early on. But uh, Jeff, I mean, I don't think that there is a lot that we are very um, a lot to be excited about with Cam Akers at the moment, especially with Darrell Henderson's emergence and Malcolm Brown's uh, thorny, you know, pass game role, the way he's clinging on to that. So any uh, updated thoughts on the Cam Akers situation in L.A.? Uh, no, I mean, I think he's probably like borderline droppable. I mean, we know that there's the upside, but like, I don't see him doing anything in the intermediate. So just depending on your league format and team situation, like, I don't even know if he's necessarily worth rostering. Um, I will add that I was scrolling, scrolling through Twitter the other day and they said someone saying if it was a, a cartilage separation in, in the ribs, like basically the cartilage got um, separated from the bone if that was what the injury was, because I don't think they really like specify this shit, oh, rib injury. But though that injury can take like four to six weeks to before like the pain subsides. Mm. So if that is the actual case, it's like, and that's the reason that he's not playing, despite the fact that uh, McVay's like, oh, I need to get him more touches. And it's like, oh, I can't do that because like his ribs feel like they're on fire every time he gets hit. Then maybe that's like, okay, we need to wait for that to subside and then we could see him po like possibly push Henderson for the RB one roll down the like stretch. Then that's good news. But if it's, if that's not it and it's just like, nah, Henderson's just playing well, or maybe there's some like locker room or personal ish like things. Like, I mean, I have no clue. And if, if it's like anything else, then yeah, that's not great for him. Um, you know, like in our league, I have him and I'm just holding on to him because we have the keeper format that, um, you know, so I kind of almost have to, or at the very least, I don't want to drop them and let someone else be able to keep them for next season. But other than that, like, I don't really know if there's a reason to hang on to them. 
Yeah, I think if you're in a standard season-long situation, I think you definitely are justified in dropping Cam Akers. And I think that just in general, I think we have a pretty good sense on the L.A. backfield now, which is that Darrell Henderson has has assumed an early-down role. I think Malcolm Brown has held on to that third-down pass game role. Uh, and Cam Akers is somewhere in between, you know, mixing in when he can. And there's a good chance that this shuffles around a couple more times. I think the main main takeaway in L.A. is that it will maintain, it will continue to be a running back by committee there. So speaking of running back by committees, Jeff, let's go over to Baltimore. (laughs) We got J.K. Dobbins as our last rookie running back to discuss today. Uh, We already talked about him on the show earlier this week, so we won't stay on him long. But, you know, obviously Mark Ingram's injury in week six uh, makes it makes it look like there's a chance for J.K. Dobbins to emerge. I think he's been far and away the best running back in Baltimore, um, not factoring in Lamar Jackson. <laughs> um, and they're on week seven by. So, you know, we've already talked about maybe they really start to turn to the rookie in week uh, during the bye week. We talked about that with with Taylor and, and Antonio Gibson. So maybe the same is true with Dobbins. And also this Mark Ingram injury um, doesn't doesn't hurt uh, i think i think they said it was a high ankle um i'm not positive on that so don't take it to the bank but uh, any updated thoughts on jk dobbins here jeff um i think we might have underrated the retirement of marshall yanda in the offseason you know i'm pos- I mean, he's a possible hall of famer i think he is yeah here. yeah probable hall of famer and well um, you know i think he maybe made the interior OL like greater the uh, the sum of the parts mm. the whole greater than the sum of the parts perhaps and now like if he's not there that interior OL maybe is like you know not it's not what it was last year so I think that we perhaps should have been a little bit more uh cognizant of that and tempering our expectations for the I mean uh, among other things for the Ravens offense just like having some unsustainable like efficiency that um you know we should pro- maybe should have recognized that more for the um o-line like f- throughout the season and so yeah like, i think the offense is going to get better but you know i think that's a key reason that we should have um shouldn't expect things to go completely 2019 like we saw it with the rams when uh they lost uh roger saffold last year and i mean and then part partially the impact he made subsequently in tennessee um, so I think uh, like interior OL is, uh, you know, a point that we need to make a better, um, you know, uh, put more emphasis research. on it. In, in yeah, more emphasis yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. For like our whole season long standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. I think we were we were really on it with the Saffold situation, leaving L.A. and going to Tennessee. So um, well, well said, Jeff. And I think that does it for our fantasy football storyline segment. I think it is now time for our coveted DFS preview segment, Jeff. And why don't we kick it off with your favorite stack of the week? With the NFL switching the Vegas game to 4 o'clock and then sliding the Seattle-Arizona game into Sunday night, the Sunday night game is now on the main slate. Yeah, so you won't, so we don't have to worry about you making that little uh, mistake again. I make it every week. Uh, I make it every week, one hundred percent. But that is kind of strange, is it not? Yeah. So I mean, from a strategy perspective, it gives us an extra game. Um, now there are some people who have the strategy of uh, late swaps, especially in some smaller tournaments, which isn't something that we've I've really used much. 
Um, like, but basically it's okay. If you're in a tournament, you have some players in the four o'clock game, but then like you're, you know, I don't know, let's say you're in a hundred person tournament and you're like top 10 following the one o'clock games. When you look at the players ahead of you and, Oh, you see a bunch of them have DK Metcalf and you had DK Metcalf. Mm. Well, if you keep DK Metcalf in your lineup, then you're not going to be able to place any higher. So you would take him out and swap, you know, Tyler Lockett or Christian Kirk or someone where, okay, maybe like in a vacuum, it's not the play that you would want, but in the context of the tournament, um, if you're going to increase your standing, then you have to make that move. Yes. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. So I think with the uh, Sunday night Island, it does change the game theory strategy a little bit. I don't really know how much we'll be utilizing that. Um, I, th- I think when I do... we're entering at the volume that we are, I think it's very difficult to employ a strategy like that unless you have like, you know, one, unless you can look at the top lineups that we have and be like, this one really has a chance. Like, let's not miss on these later game ones, in which case then it's possible. Agreed. And especially because we're going to be like, you know, doing full game stacks of Arizona and Seattle, that mm-hmm. it's really be like, we're going to have different permutations that, yeah, I don't think for us that it's really a strategy, but if you're doing set maybe like three max entry tournament or something, then it is aware. But going into the actual plays, um, I mean, I think I liked Russ a lot, obviously. Um, I'm kind of a little bearish on Kyler Murray, maybe relative to the field. Um, I mean, like he's been fantastic for fantasy purposes. Um, and that's basically all come from his legs. But like his passing efficiency like has not been good this year. So, I mean, am I, am I kind of missing something and that maybe I'd rather, like, I think there might be some sharper plays, like, even though he's, we know what he's done on the ground. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I haven't loved what I've seen with him. Like we see the highlights, but the few times I've gone and watched him play a full game, like I haven't been extremely impressed with his passing. Yeah, I think the appeal for Kyler Murray is like a, a Lamar ja- 2019 Lamar Jackson light version, right? Because Lamar Jackson obviously led the league in in, t- in passing touchdowns, also set the record for uh, rushing season for a quarterback. So Kyler Murray is doing his best Lamar Jackson impression in the sense that he is running a lot and he's running very effectively. But you're right, his passing has left a lot to be desired. I think he has fed DeAndre Hopkins, which is a good thing for fantasy. DeAndre Hopkins is a really good wide receiver, one of the best in the league. Um, and uh, you know, other than that, I think this Arizona offense has disappointed, uh, to start the season, just like they did last year. And now they started to settle in maybe in the second half. I don't know. Kyler Murray being a rookie definitely had something to do with it. Uh, offensive line play had something to do with it, but overall it's, it's a little, yeah, it's a little rocky in Arizona. Um, I'm definitely not on the side of like smashing the buy button on anyone except for Chase Edmonds. Um, and I, and obviously, you know, if you have a chance to get DeAndre Hopkins, that's one thing, but, uh, from a DFS standpoint, Jeff, I'm with you. I would much rather just play the chalkier play with Russell Wilson and, you know, you know, maybe get uh, as a part of the game stack, get DeAndre Hopkins share, maybe Christian Kirk, if you want to buy that, uh, ride Andy that Isabella. high. Andy Isabella, we know we love, um, he's been getting some consistent work, hasn't he? I mean, at least he's been on the field. Yeah. His snap count is going up, even if like the targets aren't, in, aren't there, but I mean, he's a player that only needs um, one play, you know, <laughs> yeah, one opportunity. Yeah. Literally, I mean, it's like multiple games in his career. He's gotten like one target or one carry or something and taken it to the house. So, yeah. Um, so continuing down the slate, should I just close. Oh, there we go. Um, I don't know. I think Taysom Hill is a really sharp play this week. <laughs> 
joking. Don't play that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like if you could play it, if he had tight end eligibility, sure, but no, not for quarterback. Right. Um, I mean, Deshaun Watson kind of um, seems to be like a smash spot against Green Bay. Um, I mean, like Rogers was bad last week in Tampa. I mean, not that Brady didn't had to do much, but I think Rogers. I mean, Rogers probably have a good game against um, Houston as well, but I just um, prefer Watson, obviously. And I think there's they're priced. Um, like, I mean, Watson's cheaper than Rogers, and Watson's a better player and fancy like asset at this point. Agreed. Um, I was higher on Mahomes heading into today, and then I found out that the forecast for Denver calls for like 22 degree weather and snow. Mm. Um, I mean, I, it's Mahomes; it doesn't really matter. But I think we'll probably just be instead of maybe being like 20 or not 25, but like uh, like 25 lines might knock it down to 20. And then that's a game I just I don't think you have to run it back. Hmm. Like. I mean, there's nobody on Denver that I'm really just like, there's so many good plays this week that I'm like, okay, do I have to run it back with Tim Tim Patrick Patrick. or Noah fan? I mean, Noah fan. Yeah. I might sprinkle him in. I mean, you know, I'm not a huge Judy fan. I don't think the fancy production has not been there. Um, I would say that the chiefs um, defense is a little bit of a, it's pass funnel a little bit to running backs. So if Melvin Gordon's playing and is healthy, I think you could actually maybe run it back with him in the event that he ends up with like five to 10 targets, even just because the chiefs defense funnels things that way. Um, it's not exactly how Julak likes to play, but um, I think that isn't, it might be like a way to get a contrarian game stack because I don't think people are going to run it back with Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good way to put it, Jeff. Um, so, with that said, um, what is your top lineup this week? Factoring in your favorite stacks, Deshaun Watson, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, our man Terry McLaurin, Brandon Cooks, Gabe Davis sprinkled in at wide receiver three. I mean, John Brown is out. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's actually not I like a bad it. move. I like Robert it. Tanyan in at tight end, Mike Davis at the flex, and then football team as our defense. I like that. Um, I think I think the exposure to Gabe Davis actually makes me feel really good. I think he's just a kind of the a, a guy that I want some shares of anytime that there is a wide receiver absence ahead of him in in Buffalo. We've just seen great flashes out of him, and we know that the ceiling that Josh Allen has enabled everyone in that offense to have now. Uh, I think that the Bills are just due for a big bounce back. We'll get to that in a second. Um, so. But I do like that lineup a lot. And I think that the chalk with Kamara is totally warranted, as we already mentioned. Yeah. I mean, if you want, I mean, Gio, Gio Bernard, like you can squeeze him into the flex play. We have a handful of lineups here where he's the flex. And now you got Deshaun, Kamara, Mike Davis, Will Fuller, Galladay, MBS, Hayden Hurst. Um, so, you know, I mean, if you put in Bernard, that is uh, frees up a lot of money. I don't. I think I'll probably want to be underweight on him though, because um, I, I mean, I just don't love the ceiling there, but yeah. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll allow him a little bit. Okay. Um, any other favorite plays that you want to call attention to going into week seven, Jeff? Uh, I like DJ Moore, and I like T Higgins Moore has been progressively seeing a little bit more of a um, opportunity share in Carolina. Yeah, so he's been getting a little bit uh, higher opportunity share in coming on par with Robbie Anderson. I do still think there's that little perception of Anderson being 
the wide receiver one right now. So um, I think Moore is a maybe a slightly sharper play against New Orleans. And then I think it's um, T. Higgins week possibly. You know, last time the um, Bengals and Browns played, they tried to feed A.J. Green and things just could not connect. So the um, hookup with Higgins has been there for Burrow. Um, I think, I mean, if he sees, he, he could see 10 targets and, and that secondary for Cleveland is, you know, pretty banked up. So I think we could really see a T Higgins breakout week. Yeah, dude, he's been so good. He has been with the exception of Justin Jefferson, the, the number one player that I was off on in the rookie class in, in 2020 outlook, um, in terms of fantasy football, actually, I was also a hater of him, of his, uh, in, in my NFL draft takes as well. So, um, kudos to T Higgins for just instantly proving me wrong. Basically, uh, he was he was he's he has been so far everything that he was as a freshman at Clemson. When I said he, I thought he would might be the next Julio Jones level prospect. My that luster really faded in my eyes as his career progressed. But you know, right now he has shown great rapport with Joe Burrow. I think he's already a better version than, of AJ Green than AJ Green is right now. Um, so. Yeah, I think that he should absolutely be seen as the wide receiver one B. And you know, who's to say that he can't be? He can't overtake Tyler Boyd and send Boyd back to that uh, you know lovely wide receiver three range. Um, Which I mean, it's interesting that uh, you're so you were so low on T, despite still being so high on Mike Williams, because it's both six four, uh, two sixteen to two two eighteen. Four both have four five nine forty yard dashes and twenty second percentile burst scores. <laughs> yeah no they're they're very yeah, similar players so yeah um yeah i mean like, i think with higgins like we were we didn't like him in the first round but like we said he was a fine like second round that's yeah that's where i had him pegged yeah, us, I had him as a high yeah. Second. so it's like we were like way off on him we had him pegged about where he was drafted and like one of the best wide receiver classes in recent history so it's not like we were way off uh but yeah he is he is exceeding our expect expectations faster than what we anticipated yeah, I think it was it was a uh, you know a factor of like I had guys like Brian Edwards ahead of him, um, and obviously Brian Edwards has been banged up. He was banged up when when we had him ranked. He was banged. He's been banged up since week three. So it, it's not like a perfect analysis or evaluation that we have at this point. But I think with T Higgins, the the real thing is like with in the context of Mike Williams. Mike Williams, I am higher on him than I think the public is, and the reason is I think he's been completely unfairly pigeonholed into this deep threat, big play receiver role when any opportunity that he's had to be a true alpha, like actually get the, all the red zone work and get intermediate and short area passes as well that Keenan Allen usually gobbles when Keenan Allen's out, not in the lineup, Mike Williams balls. And so my thing is that, listen, he's getting put into this role. It is not a product of his skill set necessarily. Sure, he excels in it, I think. I think he's done everything you could have asked. With T. Higgins, I think it was more so like a Mike Williams light. And from an NFL standpoint, I didn't see T. Higgins as being, um, I saw him much more on the Martavis Bryant end of the spectrum where it is actually like a big, tall, lengthy, big play wide receiver and much less of the like, um, I guess, Julio Jones end, ends of the spectrum where it's like, you've got all that, but you're also a wide receiver one, a like alpha uh, type receiver. You can run every route. You can catch the ball short and take it long. You can go long. You can take, you know, whatever it is. So to me, it was that T. Higgins lacked that like wide receiver alpha profile uh, and and felt much more like a really, really good complimentary piece. And I said as much in my eval of him. And so when we're evaluating probably the best wide receiver class that we've seen in the last like two decades, maybe 
um, it's that was not the type of profile that really enticed me because I'm like, well, I think Brian Edwards has uh, alpha profile and, you know, like literally seven or eight other guys I felt like had at least the chance for like Jalen Ragor and LaVisca Chenault, that sort of thing. And so with T Higgins, it just felt much more like he was going to be a great wide receiver too at some point in his career. So far, I guess that's already been the case. So, you know, I think we talked about it a good bit here and um, we'll continue to monitor, at least from fantasy football perspective, his uh, performance so far has been very encouraging. Um, okay, Jeff. So let's move on to our best bets part of the show now. And man, you already mentioned the weather in Denver, um, with, or between the, the chiefs game, uh, versus the Broncos, excuse me. Um, you already mentioned the weather with the chiefs versus Broncos. Yes, there's snow and yes, there's cold Jeff, but 44 and a half. It just feels so low. Like I want this to be free money on the over, but at the same time, the chiefs have cleared under 44 points in three out of six games so far this season. And they looked very, very content to just pound the rock with Clyde Edwards-Alaire in week six against the Bills, unfortunately. Well, I guess fortunately for the Bills because it could have been much worse. But uh, unfortunately, it looks like this could be a similar kind of game plan maybe. I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on on this over-under? Because I'm a little torn because, I mean, it just feels like absolutely criminal to bet on the under against Patrick Mahomes in a 44 point point total here. No, I still like the over in this. I mean, like you said, 44 points going with like for Mahomes, like you, I mean, you see the, like the game plan where he just does that himself, um, right? Even though they haven't done it this year. Um, like, yeah, like and they're seven and a half point favorites. I like the over here. Um, yeah, it's a good bet. Yeah. I'm glad we're in locks up there because man, I mean, it's just like, I've been getting it wrong on the weather related over-unders recently. And this one really scares me because, because snow and cold. I mean, no one's really played in that so far this year. And I think Mahomes, I think he had a game I mean, last it was, year. It was basically the same in like the playoffs in Kansas City last year. Yeah. That didn't fair. stop him. That's fair. I mean, I don't think really anything can. It's more so just a question of if Andy Reid will be like, oh, well, let's just, you know, run it with Clyde again. You know, and hey, I'll take it for fantasy. But anyway, okay. So uh, then another one I really like is Steelers plus one and the over on 51 points versus Tennessee. The reason is, I think this is basically a pick them. I think both these teams are really good. They're both rolling. Uh, both, I mean, Steelers have a better have a better defense than Tennessee, but we know Tennessee can rise to the occasion. They, they performed really well against the Bills. Um, so with that said, I like the Steelers plus one and parlay it with the over if you wish. Um, I think that this is going to be a pretty good game, and I definitely want uh, want a share of it. Um, and then the last one I have is Dallas minus one against Washington. I mean, look, I get it's Andy Dalton, and I get Washington has probably out, uh, outperformed expectations other than your expectations, Jeff. You were definitely in on the Washington uh, bandwagon, I suppose, in the beginning of the season. <laughs> well, Washington to finish second in the East. Right, right. And it was it lo- <laughs> it's looking like a great call. I mean, considering it's a three-way tie for second at two and four. Uh, or one and five rather. Um, so to me, minus one for Dallas just feels like a little, little disrespectful. And I would probably take Dallas in this matchup. Like, I think that Washington is on the right track. I think they have some really talented playmakers on both sides of the ball, but come on, Dallas has the best skill position group in football. Probably, um, defense has not played very well, but they still have some talent there. And at some point, you know, they're going to write the ship. It's just a matter of when. Washington feels kind of like a, maybe not fraudulent, but I don't know. It 
minus one. Like if they were like minus four or something, I'd probably be really interested in the Washington money line. But like to make this a pick em, it just doesn't feel right. What are your thoughts on on that game or the Steelers-Tennessee game? Um, yeah, I like Dallas. I mean, Dallas is actually plus one on DraftKings Sportsbook. Minus 120, but yeah. Um, I mean, like the, Dallas is still – Unlike the futures markets, they're still favored to win the division at like minus 105. Mm. So like there's kind of a disconnect right there between the futures market and then the um, bet line for the game. So I like plus one. I don't know about the Steelers-Titans game. I Earlier in the week, I was definitely thinking um, Steelers plus one. But looking at things a little bit more, um, I mean, Devin White's out for the season. And yep, yep. I mean, he's the middle linebacker there. And, um, you know, I feel like that's, you know, maybe the tail, like not the talent, the um, positional value is a little replaceable, but when they're also the, you know, the communicator for the defense, that is a different value. That's not easy to replace necessarily. So, but I do think it's going to, and I don't think the Steelers offense has been quite as efficient and uh, as and Tennessee's definitely has the better offense in my opinion. So, but then as we mentioned, you know, a few times already Taylor Luan's out for the season and Steelers have one of the, or the best um, hurry rate in the league. And even though Tannehill has been really good under pressure, that's likely to regress. And we know he, as good as he's played, um, even then he's still been kind of prone to taking some really bad sacks. So I, do, I think it's a really interesting matchup and I don't really have a um, side here at the plus one and a half or minus one and a half either way. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair take. I, I think we're in agreement though, that the over feels decent at very least. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird slate this week for betting. Um, I mean, Panthers plus seven, we've seen that, like that. be pretty explosive yeah they've been a pretty explosive team i think my, i think my favorite bet might be the bears plus six on monday night football mm. they have been starting to cook a little bit more man i really do think that bears fans like scrambling over this nick Foles situation is unwarranted yeah i feel like it's it's like uh the common knowledge game like okay everyone knows that everyone knows the bears are quote-unquote paper tigers even though they're five and one right so like they're becoming because every everyone knows that that they're getting like back down, like the Rams, all like what the, all of their wins are against the NFC East, right? Exactly, dude. So like, are so they fraudulent. maybe not paper tigers enough themselves? And like, Jared Goff hasn't had to do anything. Like, he hasn't been bad, but like he's just been throwing to wide open Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and play action underneath like, every time. Yeah, like he hasn't had to you know sit back and take any deep shots. So. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I like the bears plus six and sprinkle the money line. I like it. I like it, Jeff. I really do. Um, okay. Good stuff. I think, uh, I think, yeah, this will be an interesting week for it. I think we've had some up and down weeks in the past, you know, past couple, past couple times that we've done best bets. So I'm hoping that this one ends as an up one. Um, okay, Jeff, I think it's time to talk about the bills here as we wrap up, uh, our bills prediction for this week is sponsored by, uh, the New York Jets, who are going to get get us a good get right game, um, were zero and two the last two weeks, four and two overall. I think the Jets are probably the worst team in the league, um, and I you know I was basically on record saying that during our over unders coverage um, at the beginning of the season. I couldn't believe that there were buyers in the Jeff. I really really couldn't. Um, obviously, Sam Darnold's being banged, Sam Darnold being banged up again doesn't necessarily help, but he's questionable coming into the game. Jameson Crowder is questionable coming into the game. 
Um, and the Bills D is very banged up as well. You know, Josh Norman's already ruled out. Trey White has a back injury. Uh, the the um, linebacker core is still banged up. I mean, dude, it's 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 a weird situation in Buff for Buffalo's defense right now because it's it was supposed to be our strength, and now we're basically a shootout team for the time being. Um, I, Jeff, this is a minus ten and a half line for the Bills uh, over under set at forty six. I'm personally not touching the over under because I really feel like this is going to be on Buffalo to uh, score, and I think that they definitely could light it up. Um, and, you know, if it's Joe Flacco under center, it, there's just so many variables. I'm not touching the over-under. Uh, absolutely, I love the money line for the Bills, which is minus 600, so it's really not much of a hot take. So I think, if anything, I'll probably use it as a parlay piece. Um, I like the Bills minus 10.5, though, and I'll actually go a little bit higher than that and say I think the Bills are a pretty decent bet for uh, probably like a 27-13 game, and that's that's my take for this one. Sounds good. I mean, the week one game was 27-17, so mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so uh, hopeful that we can get right here, man. I really want to see Josh come out and be dominant again. And I really want to see this team not play, play to the level of their opponents. I think if we can play to the level of our talent, then we, we look really good going into the second half of the season. Any additional thoughts on the Bills, Jeff, or anything else going into week seven? No, nah, I think they'll come out um, and try and you know get Josh cooking, um, light things up early, and hopefully coast um, more or less in the second half. Um, yeah, I don't like the ten and a half line uh, because of all the injuries you mentioned. And even if we do like you know come out and punch them the way we should, uh, you know ten and a half is just like a lot, and they could easily hit a backdoor cover late. Um, but yeah, I think come out to you know good get right game before big division showdown against the Patriots next week. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap up this episode then. Um, guys, make sure to check out our week seven buys and sells that we put out with Kyle earlier in the week. Uh, make sure to check out our week six recap. If you haven't already, we talked about some waiver wire stuff, not as relevant now, but still um, just some good takeaways from the weekend in the past. And obviously, as we mentioned every week, make sure to check out the rock and the DFS optimizer tools that we have on the site, contestedcatch.com forward slash ROC, contestedcatch.com forward slash DFS, uh, respectively. So guys, those are really good tools. I think that we have been doing really, really well with the DFS optimizer tools so far this year, all things considered. And uh, yeah, man, I'm really excited for this weekend. And Jeff, as you say every week, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Have a profitable weekend. Let's do it, baby. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. We wish you best of luck in week seven, and we'll catch you next time.